Hello and welcome to another awesome episode of The Cult of Pop. My name is Brian Stevens and with me is... I'm Drew Mascherelli. Drew, uh, what, what you mashing on? Uh, ate some potatoes drinking water out of a mug for the Senior Advocate newspaper. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they advocate for seniors, like seniors in college or just seniors in general? I believe it was bought at a thrift store. I do not know. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Um, are you Irish? Mascherelli is not an Irish name, right? It's like an Italian. That's Italian. Italian? Are you got any Irish in you? A little bit. Okay. Do you want a little more? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, I, uh, I'm almost a full-blooded Irishman. Uh, I've got lots of Irish in The me. Irishman. Yes. Oh, dude, the Irishman. I haven't seen it yet. That's something that uh, is, oh, we, we, we got to talk about eventually, hopefully. You're in it. I am. That's a little, little known fact. <laughs> I am the Irishman. Um, so anyways, how, how's school going? What's going on? Pretty good, you know. Um, finals about to sneak up on me, completely unprepared. Yeah. But other than that, swimming. You got, you got lots of snow up there? Oh, we got we got hit pretty hard. Uh, like Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Yeah, it so it feels like Christmas, right? It does. I missed two days of classes because of it. Got my Thanksgiving break extended. Wait, did they cancel classes or did you just skip? Uh, no, they canceled. Okay, well that's always. I'm a I'm a good student. Yeah, you've never missed a class in your life, have you? I would rather die. <laughs> You'd rather die. Then you are a good student. Uh, so on this episode, Drew, we, uh, we're going to have, uh, an email that, that I'm going to read, uh, to you and the listeners at the same time live on the air. And, uh, then we, we have our own little media hot takes. You said you have something for us. I have something that I wanted to talk about. And then, uh, we're going to hop into a spoiler free review of Knives Out followed by a spoiler filled review of Knives Out. Uh, how's that sound? That sounds terrific. All right. Let me read this email. Um, you can always email the podcast at cultofpop at gmail.com. That's cult with a K. And you can always visit the website cultofpop with a K dot uh, com, facebook.com slash cultofpop, at cultofpop on Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, feel free to email the, email the podcast. We'll read it live on the air. This email comes from Thomas, which I believe Thomas is a either a new listener to the podcast, but he's definitely a first-time uh, emailer. And he writes in, uh, hey, guys, loving the show. I have a question. What is a director or who is a director that you once loved that is now tapered off into the abyss of your hate? So I thought this would be an interesting question to read with you. I think basically what he is asking is, uh, who is a director that you once loved that now you kind of, uh, maybe not so much? That's a really interesting question, actually. I like that a lot. Yeah, um, I'll give you some time to think, because this is the first time you've heard this question. But uh, I kind of, so I racked my brain, and you know, there's um, there's some one-hit wonders out there. And I don't think that this is um, this is not a fair question for a one hit wonder. So I started thinking about it and this might be unpopular, but I think once I lay the case down, Drew, you, you, you might agree with me. Mm. Um, and this is going to, this is going to piss people off. But the first one that came to mind when you mentioned this is Steven Spielberg. 
and that was the first one to come to my mind as well actually really okay yep. all right cool so i mean we're basically on the on the same page um so just just since 2000 i'm just going to read you know his filmography from 2000 and we can kind of discuss how we, how we feel about this so in 2001 he uh he finished the uh Stanley Kubrick uh, written slash partially directed casted movie ai uh which i i enjoy ai do you like ai have you seen ai i have not seen ai okay um then he did minority report and catch me if you can i i like both those movies both know, those are yeah yeah okay. thumbs up on both of those uh, i have i actually have never seen terminal the terminal with tom hanks so, i have not either okay and then we moved to war of the worlds uh in munich uh both those movies i enjoyed on different levels yeah fine acceptable Okay, here's where it starts to get a little choppy for me. Uh, and I'm just going to read all these, and then we can talk about them uh, if we want to individually. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Adventures of Tintin, War Horse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The BFG, The Post, and Ready Player One. That's been his decade, pretty much. So, um, that's... To be honest with you, that's you a could decade. have... Yeah, you could have 10, like, knock-out-of-the-park, Grand Slam, fantastic movies, and one Ready Player One, and that's besmirched <laughs> your entire yeah, filmography. Right. right. Uh, if you were like, hey, I just listed off the last 18 years of a filmography, which one of these was directed by someone not named Steven Spielberg? You would say Ready <laughs> Player One, right? I mean, that's... It's horrible. It's so bad. It was... It, it's... It, it's... It's got awful. And you know what? I'm just going to be honest and say I didn't like War Horse either. Um, yeah, that one's stupid. And... I watched it when I had the flu in like fifth grade. <laughs> Actually, no. When did that come out? 2012? No, I was in middle school. 2011. 2011. Okay. Yeah. Still in middle school. And I don't know <laughs> I don't know how uh, big of an Indiana Jones fan you were, but Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was just not good abomination. Yeah. Um, I mean, Lincoln, I loved Bridge of Spies. Um, to be honest, I, Bridge of Spies is good, but I kind of found it a little boring. The BFG, I didn't see, and the post was pretty terrific. Um, but yeah, it's definitely the highlight of the back section of his career. Oh, I, I think so too. Um, and the thing is with Lincoln, I think that more honestly, I don't know how good the direction was. It, it was more of Daniel Day Lewis's performance and Tommy Lee Jones' performance in that movie. Uh, that's another movie that just doesn't feel like a Spielberg movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, he does these period pieces, but like he did War Horse and Lincoln back to back and neither one of those uh, like really fit into like the Munich Schindler's list. Um, you know, those type of, those type of movies. Um, so it's funny cause you and I both picked, um, the same director. I, I, I really couldn't think of another one. And it's like, it's unfortunate because like coming off of ready player one, his next movie is a West side story. Did you know that? No, with Ansel Elgort and the new girl. It was like a high school student that they're putting in it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She, she, they, they did like a U.S. tour of auditions, apparently. And yeah, I saw her uh, tape. Yeah, and but it's like I just, it's one of those things where like I've seen this story done a million times. I just have no interest in it again. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, it's I, why is he in his? you know, what, 40th year of making movies? Is he deciding to do this kind of thing? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so great question from Thomas. I have, it... I have one other director, I think. Oh, that we okay. Can touch yeah. on. Um, Th- Ridley Scott is an mm, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and hasn't, 
done enough with his career recently to justify being as much of a prick as he is. Friend of the podcast, Ridley Scott. Friend of the pod, Ridley Scott. <laughs> that is an excellent choice. You know, I've kind of forgot about Ridley Scott just because uh, I haven't talked to Colin in a while. And honestly, uh, Ridley Scott, I mean, he hasn't made a a good movie in such a long time. <laughs> I kind of forgot yeah, about I don't know him. what he's up to. Um, so his last movie was All the Money in the World, which came out uh, two years oh, ago. Oh, with uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah, Mark Wahlberg and Christopher Plummer, who uh, is – and Michelle Williams, who was, who was fabulous. But um, that actually got decent reviews, I think. But it was also the same time. It was the same exact story as a uh, FX show that uh, – it's based on a true story that came out the exact same time. And I guess the TV show was so much better. And it's about mm. the kidnapping of John Paul Getty, which I don't know anything about it. But and then of course, Alien Covenant, The Martian, <laughs> Exodus, Gods and Kings, and then uh, the Counselor and Prometheus. So and Robin Hood, man, he has got a string of sh- just shit. I mean, so, I think The Martian's pretty good. The Martian is out of all those movies. The Martian is. I mean, I haven't seen all the money in the world, but The Martian is uh, is good. I, I think that. But but again, how much is that direction? Yeah, I feel like oh, one more. Yeah. To add to this list, uh, Clint Eastwood. Uh, yes. I mean, in hindsight, it's like he's been making the same movie for like 50 years. <laughs> and that's why they feel so horrible now. Yeah. It's like, oh, the 1517 to Paris is Oof. one of the worst movies maybe ever. It, it Dude, that movie, I... The Mule. Mule was terrible. 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 Um, you, you know, 1517 to Paris is probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, and... <laughs> The Mule was one of the most disappointing movies I've ever seen because the premise is so enticing, and it is just flat out boring. It's a boring movie. Yeah. Um, I know Richard Jewell is his new one, and it looks equally as boring, so I'm not going to see it. Yeah, I feel the same thing. Um, and it's not gotten great great reviews, uh, you know. No. I mean, even if you like you if you go like let's just go down his uh, this is a great uh, great pick too, Clint Eastwood. If you just go, I'm gonna skip past like Letters Viva Jima and Gran Torino to like so if you went with Invictus, Hereafter, Jagger, Jersey Boys, those were terrible movies i never yeah. saw jagger because it just looked awful uh only reason i saw jersey boy is because of my wife hereafter was uh not good i didn't see invictus um and then he came out huge with american sniper which i didn't think was that great of a movie i think american sniper kind of sucks right i didn't i'm with you like that freaking baby was so distracting that fake baby just I'm just pissed off that every time a new Clint Eastwood movie comes out, we all have to pretend like, oh, he has this amazing filmography where he really hasn't made a good movie since, like, in well over a decade. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think Flags Are Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima are probably his his um, apex, maybe? I mean, I, I, you, you could say Million Dollar Baby or Mystic River or um, Unforgiven, but, I mean, like, those were the last two movies that he made where you're like, wow, those are really well and that was 2006 so yeah now he just makes like racism movies but where racism <laughs> is good <laughs> like the mule dude that movie is so all over the place man and it like i said it is devoid of tension like you know at least in Gran torino which is a very but those movies are very similar in the what they're trying to get across i feel like at least there was a, like a bit of tension and growth in the character in this movie, it just, I don't know. The mule was just, man, that was bad. Um, he's old in the beginning, and he's old at the he's end. He's still old. And, 
yeah, and he's still racist in the end, right? <laughs> um, yeah, good, 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 good choice. Um, and again, thanks for the for, for the email, uh, Thomas. Uh, email us again anytime. At, uh, that's called a pop with a K at gmail.com. Um, let me ask your opinion real fast before we move on to our media hot takes. Should I continue to plug the the email as cult with a K? I mean, if they're listening to the podcast, should they know? They could look at their phone and see cult but it also doesn't hurt to say it you're right you're right it doesn't hurt it does not hurt one bit it doesn't hurt anyone you hear that out there listeners it doesn't hurt and it uh, rolls off the tongue call it with a k yeah right you know I it agree. works all right cool thanks thanks for my like cars I, for kids <laughs> cars for kids i like it Hey, right. I, I feel uh, reassured. Thank you, Drew. Um, so we're gonna do a little bit of media hot takes right here. What uh, what do you got on it? What do you got on your plate? Okay, I have a very people who spend a lot of time around me. I bugged them a lot about this podcast over the summer, but it's a short ten part podcast called This Is Branchburg. Uh, the episodes are fifteen minutes long each, and it's a comedy podcast made up of little vignettes, kind of parodying small life a uh, small town life in america in this fictional town in new jersey i know i think it's a real town but it's like fictionalized characters um really difficult to explain it's very twin peaksy and just kind of like the very quirky characters it establishes um and it's voiced by these two very funny uh people i follow on twitter but they kind of popped off from this it's produced by absolutely uh tim heidecker's company that also did nathan for you nice so it's got some pedigree behind it yeah um it's super digestible and it's really hard to like get the vibe across without just making somebody listen to it so everybody listening to this should listen to that not that these are similar podcasts but <laughs> right it has my stamp of approval uh so i find this very interesting i i um i find fictionalized storytelling through the f- the medium of podcasting super enticing and i've listened to a lot of fictionalized podcasts some good some bad um, see i'm the opposite usually i don't i prefer more like round table people talking podcasts mm-hmm. this is the first kind of like serial not even serialized just like radio drama type podcast i've gotten into and i absolutely love it and this is my one opportunity to plug it i've been given the platform Yes, and I'm going to – I just – I'm looking for it right now. I'm going to add it to my queue. I, I want to know a little bit more about it though without having to read it. It's just also so our listeners can find out about it. What? Tell me – give me a general premise. Uh, you, you kind of did, but like can, are, are, the, are the stories connected? Is it – you said it's There's humorous. no – it's – there's no connected story arcs of it. It will just be like, oh, here's a man who got locked in the freezer at the grocery store and he has to wait there overnight for employees to come and it's just – him talking about that it's this guy who hides mints all over his yard in the fall so when the snow melts in the spring he can pick up the mints again and eat them and i'm not doing it nearly enough justice by like because it's just like very smartly written and it's like you know it's pretty like wholesome unoffensive content but it's just really funny and really i don't know it's genuinely terrific and more people should watch it or listen to it who who are the two voice actors that you that you mentioned? um brendan o'hare and Corey snierowski okay and um what's the name brendan of the... o'hare uh sorry he was a writer for Clickhole, the onion oh my god i love Clickhole. i'm a clickholic yeah 
that's and I, he, that's all you had to say. Now I'm sold. Yeah. And the podcast is This is Branchburg. This is Branchburg. <laughs> uh, I, now, I'm, now I'm just laughing because I can just picture uh, this is a, probably one, a town that one of them grew up in and they knew somebody in and they're just like, oh, man, this is uh, great, great uh, recommendation. I definitely am going to There's also out. like a 10-minute short film they did like two years ago on their YouTube channel called Branchburg. And if you go on YouTube and search that, you'll be able to watch it. Oh, nice. Is it connected in any way? Like, do they, no, it's just like a similar, similar, really bizarre, like vignette style. Interesting. Okay. Uh, And uh, you've definitely piqued my interest. Now I'm, I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to, to this. Um, anything else you want to say? Are are we good to move on? If anybody listens to it and they don't like it, they can crucify me. Email the podcast and crucify Drew, uh, or check or find him on Twitter and crucify him. Find me and kill me. <laughs> right. Uh, awesome. Um, all right. So I wanted to, I wanted to, to talk a little bit, uh, about a show that, uh, I'm, I'm sure that um, a ton of listeners have seen and, but I, I don't think that you're a big fan of always sunny in Philadelphia. Are you a big, you're not a, Oh yes, I am. Oh, you are. Okay. Okay, yeah. good. I, I, didn't... I haven't watched the last like three seasons, but mm, okay. Well, I'm going to talk about this season and last season. Okay. And, um, <clears throat> so you, you may be familiar with, um, the idea that, you know, um, the first five or so seasons, maybe six are, uh, are really awesome you know people say that you know in the middle seasons there it got like i think seven eight nine maybe maybe i could be wrong but there's a group of seasons that kind of kind of fell off right it just wasn't as interesting as it as it once was and then around season 10 uh i think 2015 ish the gang beats boggs have you ever that that season oh yeah i have seen that and they have charlie work episode which the charlie work episode is if I, if even if you've never seen a single episode of Always Sunny, the Charlie Rook episode is pretty much all in one shot. Or it's all, like a parody of Birdman with the background yes, music too. Yes, it is. It is fabulous. It is one of the best half hours of tele, twenty whatever twenty five minutes of television that you will experience. But that, after that season, it started getting really really good again until last season. And this this year, let me. I'm just, just going to put this caveat. This year is kind of a rebound year, but um, I want to talk a little bit about last year. Um, and I don't know if you know anything about this or not, but uh, so you know, uh, at the end of season twelve, there was tons of controversy because uh, Glenn Howerton, who plays Dennis, um, basically it was left on a cliffhanger of whether or not he was going to leave the show. Um, were you aware of this at all? I, I remember that. Yeah. Okay. And of course, <laughs> of course he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't leaving the show. He came back, but what happened was he got his own show. Um, I believe it was on CBS or ABC. I don't know. It's called AP bio and it was a half hour comedy on network television. Don't blame him for, you know, doing that. But also, Caitlin Olson, who plays Sweet D, got her own sitcom called The Mick on Fox. And then, of course, Charlie uh, Day was doing his own stuff, getting, you know, um, uh, movies and doing all kinds of stuff. So uh, they kind of rushed season 13. And 
season 13 if you go to reddit and just you know you you just talk you you just you know search always sunny season 13 there's this great debate about what order the episode should should have been in and so it's kind of strange so it starts out with it's called the gang makes patties great again and Mindy Kaling guest stars and it's this kind of this really mediocre episode honestly and Mindy Kaling is not nearly as funny as she is in everything else that she's in and Dennis comes back but then from there on out the 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 episodes are just completely out of order drew i'm talking like they're referencing things in episode three that don't happen till episode seven and then they're talking about the things that happen in episode five that don't you know that didn't happen until episode nine it is it is super strange is it ever like shown to be intentional (laughs) okay so that's why i'm bringing this up I want. I have tried so hard to find out if it's intentional and what this means, and I it's driven me nuts. And I, I for some reason I'm like, you know what? Maybe in season fourteen they're gonna in some way address this. They don't. Spoiler alert: they don't. And uh, season fourteen is terrific. Like I said, it comes back to, uh, it brings it back to its heyday. And I will say that season thirteen ends with. Um, a really, really excellent episode where Mac ends up doing this like interpretive dance at the very end of the episode that is just like mind bogglingly beautiful. <laughs> it does not seem like it's a always sunny thing, but anyways, that's the way the show is. But no, I, 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 I kind of want you to watch it, Drew, because I want your opinion. Like, uh, my coworker and I have been talking about this all week. It's like it is so strange because I feel like they are so good that usually when something like this happens, they do it for a reason, and I cannot for the life of me figure it out. Because it's a very deliberate show. Like, even the weird stuff is very intentional. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious to see. I know they're streaming on, like, Hulu or something. They were on Netflix for the longest time, but then they got taken down. Yeah, it's on Hulu. You can get all all the seasons except for the the, the latest season is not on there. Um, but because it just finished airing. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I think last week was the season finale. But, um, yeah, you, you can watch 13 on Hulu if you have Hulu. I encourage you to watch it. I really need to know if I missed something here. I need to know what the heck was going on. Was it simply just the fact that they couldn't get their schedules? Because the thing that I read was Kaylin Olsen and Rob. How, how do you say Rob's uh, last name? I think it's McElhaney. McElhaney? Okay. Um, Rob McElhaney and Kaylin Olsen, who uh, they're together, right? Aren't they married or something? Yeah, they're married. Yeah. They, <clears throat> you know, they both said in an interview, like, people's schedules were crazy and we wanted to make this season. So we just, you know, we filmed when we could. But it, that doesn't make sense that you have to show them in out of order, right? They and, wouldn't be filming them a week before shooting exactly. or a week before airing. Right. Right. So I don't understand why they sh- – like uh, there is a mystery to be solved. And because this is Knives Out, Drew, I'm putting it out. I need you to be my Benoit Blank and go out there and, <laughs> and figure this out for me. So It's Charlie Day was too busy with Pacific Rim Uprising and Fist Fight. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's it. He was hanging out with Ice Cube. Why would he hang out with his lame old friends? Yeah, well, you're right. You're right. <laughs> ah, touche. Well, with a mystery is solved. Um, but anyway, so th- I, I know this is not. I don't usually do this uh, in uh, in media hot takes, but I uh, I really uh, value your opinion, Drew. And n- now that I know, I, I don't know why I thought you weren't big into this, but I was putting it out there for the listeners and anybody. If you can tell me what the hell happened in season thirteen of Always Sunny, I'd love to know. So, 
I'm giving you a little bit of homework over the break. Drew, come back and tell us what's up. All right. Once uh, the new season is on Hulu, I will dive in. Bada bing, bada boom. All right. Uh, you ready to move on and talk some knives out? Yes, I am. All right. So, uh, are you? Uh, are you, I guess let's start off by asking you this: Are you a Are you a Ryan Johnson fan? I was really hoping we'd get to this um, because, like, I've seen Looper, mm-hmm. and up until this past weekend, I was like, "Yeah, Last Jedi is not. It's like a fine movie." Mm-hmm. Rewatched it. I don't understand the controversy and why that's such a divisive movie because I think the Last Jedi is really fantastic. Upon mm. rewatching, like two years after it came out, um. And I think Ryan Johnson is the victim of a lot of undeserved hate for that movie. Um, also directed like great episodes of Breaking Bad. Yes. So yes. all in all, Ryan Johnson seems like a like a good dude. Yeah, I'm with you. I so his first movie, Brick. I love Brick. Um, uh, it's a kind of modern noir movie. Um, if you if you like that style of movie noir, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, Luke Haas, Emil Draven, like Megan Good, like a really good young cast at that for that time. Check out Brick. Um, his it's next on movie, Netflix, I think, is it okay? That's yeah. good to know. I'd love to rewatch it, honestly. Um, his next movie, Brothers Bloom, Mark Ruffalo, and um, Adrian Brody, and then of course Rachel Weiss. This movie, I'm not a huge fan of, to be honest with you. I actually thought it was miscast, and I thought that Ruffalo and Brody should their characters they should have played the other character. Just I, I don't know why. It's kind of a heist movie. It is a heist movie. Um, I know a lot of people who love it. Um, it's just not I. It's not uh, my favorite. I loved Looper. I thought Looper was terrific. Um, you mentioned Breaking Bad. You mentioned uh, the the three episodes he he directed that are some of the like probably the most um, well renowned episodes mm-hmm. uh osmandius um is a lot of people believe it's one of the best episodes of television ever so that says a lot for ryan johnson and then of course last jedi which on this podcast or the midnight film review i really enjoyed i thought it was subversive and kind of changed expectations on what a, a star wars movie was but but kept the lore intact in my opinion um uh, there are some issues I have with the plot and some just weird stuff that he has choices that he made. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I don't understand the hate either. Um, but to be honest with you, as soon as I heard he was no longer having to make that third star Wars movie and he was going to be able to do knives out, I was super excited for this movie. Um, and I absolutely couldn't wait because the last thing I wanted was for Ryan Johnson to get sucked into making a bunch of sequels and some, other you know because well, he was tied problem. to a trilogy for a while yeah and i don't know that he has necessarily been released from that do you know yeah i think he's still planning on directing it okay and it seems like something he wants to do too and by all means go make that money you know as long as he can continue to make original stuff man because we need more original directors and writers out there people who are coming up with stuff like knives out and i i guess i've kind of already let the calabag i really like this movie but um uh, you know i'm gonna just read a little synopsis here and then uh, i'm gonna talk about the cast and then i'll let you kind of say how you feel about it a, de- a detective investigates the death of a patriarch of an eccentric combative family 
stars Daniel Craig as the aforementioned detective Benoit Blanc, um, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jimmy, <clears throat> Jimmy Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, Catherine Langford, uh, Jaden Marshall, uh, Ricky Lindholm, and that's pretty much Noah Segan, um, but you know, that's pretty much it for the main cast. Um, all right, Drew, what'd you think of this movie? I thought it was fantastic. Um, great cast. I'm, I know you just went over it, but I think everybody in their role respectively just does a fantastic job. Um, with that, I think, uh, Daniel Craig was really well cast. I know a lot of people are like, yeah, the accent was ridiculous, which it is. Um, he's doing the same voice kind of that he did in a uh, Logan lucky. Yes, yeah. That southern drawl, which is strange for him because everyone's used to seeing him in Bond and mm-hmm. other movies where right. he's not doing that voice. Um, but yeah, all in all, I thought it was really terrific and just a really good holiday. Like, you can take your whole family to this. It's not a hard R. I think it's PG-13, actually. Yeah. Um, th- wait, uh, let me double check, but I think you're right. It is PG-13. Bring the kids. Bring grandma bring grandma um man i is are you done is that good you yeah all right good i uh i couldn't i couldn't agree more man this this movie is uh i'll be honest with you it's going to challenge parasite for my favorite movie of the year i had such a terrific time in the theater with this movie um it, there were preteens and there were elderly people. There were seniors. There were young couples. That, I mean, th- this this is a very appealing movie to all um, ages, and it's it's just a lot of fun, man. I, I you know, I, I'm a, I love the whodunit genre. I love murder mysteries. I love movies that are that have mysteries. And this one is just, it's so good. It is so we can, well done. We can get to it more in spoilers, but I think to that, the way it's structured subverts the expectations of a whodunit mm-hmm. in a really interesting way. And I think it, in doing that, kind of makes an even more unpredictable story. I couldn't agree more. Um, and again, we can get into more specifics in spoilers because that's really vague for anybody who hasn't seen the movie. But <laughs> Right. It's beautifully shot. It's great cinematography. It's pretty much all in one location. They do venture out past uh, the, the mansion, but uh, just the way that he, these characters uh, build on each other, the tension uh, in the family, uh, Daniel Craig and Lakey Stanfield's interactions are I, are something that I didn't know that I needed in my life, but I did. Um, I, you mentioned the accent. At first I was like kind of annoyed by it, and then I realized like, no, this is awesome. This I was like, kind of like, man, I feel like uh, Daniel Craig is miscast in this, and, and I wasn't buying it at first. And then uh, it, somewhere went around the time he lit the cigar, I was like, yeah. okay, this is he is this is perfect. This is this is why he chose him. He read this part of the script, and it was clear that Daniel Craig was meant to play this role. And mm-hmm. um, there's a great monologue that we can talk about um about donuts that is just uh, and donut holes donut holes is just side splittingly funny um but this movie it doesn't i mean you know ryan johnson is known to inter- interject humor into his scripts for you know a little bit at a time 
and this movie does have humor, but it is played straight. There are high stakes. It is tense. And um, I, when it comes to this type of movie, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever seen it done this well. Yeah. Um, because like you said, it subverts expectations and it does something in the movie that I never in a million years dreamt. And I was like shocked when it was happening and shocked in a good way. Not in like a, oh, how dare he? It was very thoughtful, very well written. This movie, the dialogue is so sharp in this movie. Like it does like the, 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 I, there's a very specific type of like Joss Whedon dialogue that's in every Star Wars and Marvel movie now of people like saying the same things over and over again and mm-hmm. like quipping back and forth. Yep. But it does that sort of like 2019 blockbuster dialogue well. And I feel like most movies that try to do it don't of just like the constant quips back and forth. Um, but it's actually funny and clever. I feel like it. I feel like it's felt natural. Yeah, exactly. It definitely felt like uh, these. It didn't feel like forced in any way, and like you, like I think part of that is because um, this family seems real too, you know. Like, and the dynamics are established with each character. And yes, yep. it does a clever thing early on of kind of just giving you the general story of every single character. So very early on, everybody's established and like all the pieces are set in motion. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like he does, he's obviously a fan of this genre. And mm-hmm. he definitely has uh, watched this type of movie in the past. He's definitely he's definitely been, I think, planning on creating this movie probably since he's started writing movies because it just seems like a very natural uh, thing for him. This the, the the way he laid this plot out. The other thing I will say too, and you know, we mentioned um, we mentioned Craig, and I I want to be careful to dance around some of the performances, but. Uh, because I think in talking about them, we can kind of give away some things that I, yeah, definitely. you know, that um, the trailers didn't even reveal. But you know, I don't think that there was even a B performance in this. I seriously think everyone <laughs> gave an A performance. That's hard to say. Like I, I, I'm trying to think of a performance that I didn't like or felt forced or. But d- candidly, the, all the performances, it felt like they were written with particular actors in mind just to be honest and and he i think he has enough clout now at this point where he could probably get each of these actors to 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 make it um but uh, you know michael (laughs) michael shano is probably by far my favorite performance because yeah i I cannot see another another person playing that role and playing it so effectively um then what was your favorite performance oh boy um chris evans i think has a really uh, layered performance and again mm-hmm. we can get more into it um anna de armas too i think is definitely like she's gonna be in a lot more after this and after the next bond yeah i can um, I, I feel like she's definitely gonna be a rising star i totally agree i you know i thought that she was the best part of blade runner to be honest mm-hmm. with you i th- she was I, wasted in that a little bit i think um I mean, I get, I, I don't know. I maybe I, I you could. No, right. I, I think, I think she was good in it. I feel like I wish she was in it more. Sure, I no, I will agree with that one hundred percent. That character, that her, her role in Blade Runner, like was far and away the best performance in the movie. I was blown away by her performance in it. Yeah. Um, but I think so. Leaving that, I was like, wow, this girl can act, and I want to see her in more things. She didn't really, she didn't really do anything since then. She had some, you know, 
just some I'm looking at her stuff here and it's movies I never heard of and then she had an uncredited appearance in yesterday. But, you know, Knives Out to me is her coming out party. Yeah, for sure. Um I, I absolutely loved her performance. Um too you, you you nailed it. Um uh do you agree with my assessment that there really wasn't a bad performance though? Or is that something that you I don't there was a lot of like getting used to of certain performances. I think Tony Collette, especially that wasn't a role that I expected or not, didn't expect, but haven't really seen her do something like that before. Mm, so it was yeah. like, Oh, this is different for her, but I think they all nail it really. Yeah. I heard someone compare her to Gwyneth Paltrow. She's doing a Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, well she thing. has, she had a company in the movie with, what was the name of her company in Knives Out? Uh, like flam yeah oh, flam. Yes, of, yes 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 gwyneth, uh, gwyneth paltrow's goop goop she had flam yes you're right <laughs> um <laughs> it's like oh yeah everyone sees exactly what you're doing and it's you know it's clear that ryan johnson was scrolling through his twitter feed and it's like i want to incorporate everything i see on here into a movie <laughs> and yeah. there's uh, chris evans uh, calls the girl from 13 reasons why an SJW <laughs> yeah, right. he's bringing the heat on this one <laughs> yeah and ripped from the headlines and we can we can talk about a little bit more about that in uh, spoilers but I definitely wanted to bring it up because of the article you wrote for Call to Pop and the conversation we had in the last podcast about class and cinema and I think Ryan Johnson did a excellent job of I wish I waited to write that <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I jumped the gun a little bit. I mean, everything that I, <laughs> everything that I feel like, uh, ready or not, didn't follow through on. Knives Out did, uh, mm-hmm. in, in a very elegant way, and, um, I, you know, he, I, I ultimately, I and I, I've, <clears throat> I read or I listened to a an interview on um, the Big Picture podcast with Sean Finnessy. And he said, um, he, these are his exact words, so I'm quoting him. Um, I wanted to make a movie that regardless of ideology was about good people being good and bad people being bad. And it doesn't matter, you know, where you come from, what your background is. If you just be good to each other is kind of what he said it. And I thought, man, that is this movie to a T like you see different people in different classes, um, you know, Christopher Plummer is obviously the rich, you know, he is the Bill Gates of the movie, right? Um, yeah. He, the patriarch. And he is, he treats, uh, Marta's character with such compassion and love. And she obviously is, you know, an immigrant and she's a lower class and she's, she's compassionate and she's loving. And then you have, of course, different levels of that throughout the family, but it just, there's lots of things to be said about privilege and there's lots of things to be said about, um, entitlement. Enti- I think. Yes. Entitlement. And, um, it feels like a, the entire movie is just an allegory for like an inheritance tax. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, I don't, I, I, it could be for sure. I definitely could be. Um, it also, I think could, you could say that it is a, uh, a, a critique of, of how um, minorities can be treated as pawns as well. Um, oh, for sure. And there's more specifics we can get into because yes. there's one scene I really, really like um, kind of that relates to that. Well, but, let's, uh, yeah, let, we sure. can, we can, we can, uh, we can go to, to spoilers. Um, 
but yeah, I just, I, I, to me, this is a, a nine out of 10 and, uh, I have to do some thinking, but, um, this and Parasite are two of my favorite movies so far this year. And, um, I, I'm right that they're my one and two. So, yeah. Um, uh, go see this movie if you have not seen it and take your whole family. Like we mentioned, this is a movie that is li- literally there were, there were preteens in my, in my audience who were like enthralled by it. And afterwards were like, that movie was so cool. Like take uh, your rich author grandpa. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Or yeah, take your rich author grandpa. Oh man. Um, anything else you want to say about knives out before we, we spoil the crap out of it. I think that wraps it up nicely. All right, so if you don't want to hear spoilers for Knives Out, stop listening right now. What? Honey! Wow! Are you kidding me? You just ruin it every time! I'll see you at home. Wait a second. Now, how would you not know that that was taking place? All right, Drew. Spoilers for Knives Out. Han Solo dies. Oh shit! Um, <laughs> Marta is a is a Mary Sue. Is that? What, is that yeah, what exactly. <laughs> More like Ruin Johnson <laughs> raped my childhood. Oh man, he ruined he ruined Captain America in this movie too. Oh, God and Bond. What the hell? Um, uh, <laughs> if, if I ever see you in the wild, Ryan Johnson, it's on sight. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, let's um. Let's talk a little bit about um, Marta's character. Yes. Um, in the, the Armistice character, um, you know, I really, the the previews did not lead on at all what her role was going to be in this movie. And, that she's 100% the main character. Yeah, she is the lead of this movie. And uh, what a terrific performance, man. Um, I was blown away by her, her, her acting chops and the scene where she... You know, she thinks she poisons Christopher Plummer's character and she's panicking. I mean, that panic was palpable. And I mean, part of that is playing across from an excellent actor like Christopher Plummer and he's playing it straight and he's like, you know, calm down. But she it just the the love that she has for this character and the compassion that he has for her. it, It just is so I mean, that honestly, that scene might be the scene of the year for me. Which is hard yeah. to say because there's a few scenes in Parasite that rival that, but that that scene to me was like one, and that was the scene of the movie for me, honestly. And I love how surprisingly early on it comes mm. too, which is mm-hmm. not something I expected. Um, right, because you know the entire miss, not necessarily, but the specific details of how he died are laid out very early on. It's like, oh, who killed him? And you think you know. For most of it, it's like, okay, we're piecing together the rest of this because there's still some, like, crazy stuff afoot and the entire thing with the will. Yeah, and right. It's And there's so many smart, just, like, little details that come back around. Like, okay, I think I under... Like, the, uh, the go board and the uh, crashing of that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in time you realize, oh, the crashing wasn't the go board. It was mm-hmm. other things and... You know, I think the way it all pieces together is really satisfying to watch, too. Absolutely. He, that's the thing is this is a tough movie to write because the reveals have to mean something and they have to be – they can't be like, uh, you know, like uh, d- dumb for lack of a better 
term. I can't think of a better way to put it. You know, like sometimes you see these movies and it's like, oh, well, how would the character not know that that wasn't the go board? You know what I mean? But it just yeah. it seems like completely logical in the moment. You're like, oh, okay, it was the go board, and then you see, nope, it was actually him tripping her because he was trying to stop her from, you know, calling nine one one. Calling nine one. And just little things like that just makes so much sense. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. He, I, But that scene for me, honestly, like, I just uh, – I know that it's not going to happen, but I really feel like Anna de Armas should get some kind of nomination for this role. She's so freaking good in it, and I want to beat this over the head because it's one of my favorite performances of the year for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, any, uh, anything else you want to say about that performance before we move on? About hers, there's one scene I really like that I touched on a little bit before, where the family during the party is having the conversation about um, illegal immigration. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> and she gets tied into it, and it's like, no, see, you worked hard to get into this country. You you did it the right way, and it's the like the patronizing and kind of creating tokens out of minorities that, and it like it blames um, Tony Collette's character for it too because. It's coming from like the oh the compassionate side where your heart's in the right place, but you're still treating minorities as pawns and as kind of pieces to use for your own political woke points. Yes, yep. Um, and not as people, and not having the compassion to I don't know not ask those questions because it's inappropriate. Yeah, um, yeah, and also um, you know I think that to, to build on that same point, um, Michael Shannon's character, you know early on he says you know we're going to take care of you we're going to take care of the minority we're going to take care of the less fortunate but then when he finds out that she gets the money he is immediately like you don't deserve that anchor baby and the thing i love about that twist so much is that every single member of the family even ones that you're like okay you're like a more tolerable Mm -hmm. yes um, yes member all just become so dark and they're they're the energy of each of those characters totally shifts without the actors really changing anything up. It's just, it's so well written with the, um, I don't know the girl's name from 13 reasons why, but when she calls her on the phone, mm, yes, Kevin has Langford. that discussion with her. Yeah. Um, and then she hangs up and you see that the entire family's watching her and it's like, Oh Jesus. Um, they all become villains really fast. Yes. Yeah, And on top of that, I think the Chris Evans turn where, okay, he's like the douchebag kind of prep, like, oh, he does nothing for this family, becomes justified after he's like, hey, I'm going to help you. But then by the end of the movie, you're like, oh, no, you're the worst of all of them. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And again, it's just he's manipulating her for his gain. Mm-hmm. He's 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 using this. And again, this is a perfect analogy for class. He's using this this uh, minority or this person who uh, he could give two shits about in the real world uh, for his gain. And, you know, and again, Ryan Johnson has said to a T, this is about good people being good and bad people being bad. And you can kind of see like, you know, Anna's character is like kind of like, you know, I just really want to, you know, she tells Catherine Langford's character, you're going to go to school. I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. Um, Even though, Catherine Langford's character is, you know, looking out for herself, but then again, so, and Anna's looking out for her and it's like, there's this, 
I don't know. There's just this heart to this movie that you wouldn't expect from this kind of whodunit. You know, there's mm-hmm. a there's a heart there with Chris. Like I said, Christopher Plummer's character is the like the rich eccentric millionaire who uh, has a heart of gold, for lack of a better term. And you know, uh, he made his money in the one good way you can make a lot of money writing books. Writing books, yeah, right, yeah. And you know, uh, and I do love the idea of he's like you know I spoiled my children and I you know. Even even Jamie Lee, I love the Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, well, he gave me a small loan of a million dollars. Yeah, I built this empire. It's like you know, uh, but you know, it. There's so many different levels within the family too, because you do have you have that, you have her who she it was given this loan, but she did something with it. You have uh, Ransom who has done nothing but suck his grandfather dry. Yeah. Um, you know, done nothing but live off of his uh, trust fund. And then you have, um, I, I cannot remember M- Michael Shannon's character's name, but um, he is basically, he's working every day, he's doing a job, but he's doing a job that was given to him by his father. And he hasn't done anything more with it. And it's, I love the line where Christopher Palmer's like, uh, you know, we built there. You know, he's like, we built this. And he goes, I give you the books and you publish them. <laughs> like, what right. are you, what he are you calls actually them, like, doing? Our stories at one point. And he's like, no, they're my stories. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Uh, the, all that stuff, that social critique is just so well done in this movie. And I think the way it finishes that, that last shot with Anna de Armas standing on the balcony, with the mug. It, yes. With the mug and everyone else is just sitting there looking up to her, like waiting for a handout kind of, um, yeah. I, beautifully shot. That's the thing too about this movie is as much fun as it is, and as much um, as much social commentary as there is, as there is to it. Like he doesn't forget that he is a director, and some of the shots in this movie are so well thought out. Um, one of my favorite shots in the in, in in the entire in the entire movie is when we see. Uh, her coming down and she's looking at the grandmother and they're face to face. Oh yeah. Just ransom. That, is that you again? Yes. And that shot is just, it's so it's one, it's jarring. It's kind of startled me a little bit, but it's so perfect because uh, you're looking through this. You, you have, you know, her looking through this, this glass at this matriarch of this family. And I don't know. It just, it just struck me as like, wow, this is a really thoughtful and well shot movie too. Um, you know, and we can go into a little bit more. I don't know how much time you have, but I, you know, I would love to talk about how he uh, laid out the um, intricacies of the house too. If we can, if we can oh, we can that. definitely do that. Yeah, it reminded me of um, Clue. Yes, a lot in yes. that sense, where you know, in addition to like you have a really good idea of who all these characters are very early on. Specifically, the you understand kind of the geography of the movie really well mm-hmm. very early on, and you also. The ending felt very Clue to me. Very Clue. Yes, I agree. Um, which I really appreciate because I love Clue. But Same. I think this movie... Because what I really appreciate about the twists of this movie is that none of them are like nonsensical. Like They don't pull twists out of thin air. Um, like Everything makes sense when it happens. And upon rewatch, I saw it with one of my friends who had seen it. It was his third time seeing it. Wow. Okay, that's um, awesome. Because he got tickets to like film school screenings or whatever. Mm. But, and it's just definitely, I saw it and I immediately wanted to see it again because I feel like you have a different appreciation of like little details that are laid out very early on and that every time something new is revealed, it's completely earned. 
that's what I'm looking forward to. I haven't seen it twice. I've only seen it once. And I, I can't wait to to pick it apart in that way because I know that it's going to hold up. I'm, I'm glad you, you said that. And it's like the details with um the scene in the laundromat where she's like, oh, it's you. But then at the end of the movie, it plays again. It's like, no, she says it's you. And yes. It's like, oh. Yes. It's like it's silly, but it's also, oh, that's like really clever and it feels totally earned in the context of the movie. I, I totally agree. Completely earned. The other thing, you know, I, the house to me, um, you talk about the geography, the way it's laid out is like, there's this, you feel like, you know, this house. I feel like if the way he shoots this movie is the house is part of the character. It's a character. And I feel like if I walked into the house, I know which, you know, how to basically to navigate the house. If I turn this yeah. way, there's this room. If I go this way, if I go up the steps, this is what's upstairs. Like you could draw a map. Exactly. If you were asked. Yeah. Yes. And, and it, it's just done so well. And you mentioned like the little nuances. I love the nuances with the dogs and, um, mm-hmm. and I missed that, you know, I didn't obviously in the moment didn't think about it, but you know, after the movie and I'm reflecting on it, it's like, Oh, he says he heard the dogs at 3am. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, this is all, he just does a great job of tying this all together. Um, yeah. And, um, a one, oh, how about, how about the scene where she's throwing the piece of the, of the, uh, what is that? The lattice board? I don't know. The, oh yeah. To the dog and the dog brings it yeah, back. The dog brings it back. It was so good. Um, interesting that, thing about, you're talking about the geography of the house. Um, the movie was actually shot like five minutes away from where I work in Marlboro, Massachusetts. What? Really? And so like the car chase in the movie, I was like, Hey, that's like four minutes away from my job. Like I've driven through that a bunch of times. That is Um, so yeah, like they shot the entire thing basically. And a couple minutes down the road from me, there's a picture in one of the newspapers of the local firefighters and Daniel Craig. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. I'm glad that he, uh, he was awesome enough to chill, chill with him. That, um, that whole sequence outside of the manor too, I thought was interesting. That car chase was by far uh, one of the, the most enjoyable parts to the movie for me too. Um, and just the the bickering within the car, of like yes. no, it doesn't drive faster than this. Yeah, he's it's like, does it go any faster? He's just like, I got the pedal to the floor. Um, it was very inventive, I, and I love how. You know, you think they got away, and then all of a sudden it's like, it's so realistic, because it's like, nobody gets away in a car chase. I mean, yeah. it just doesn't happen. And, and then the baby driver callback, uh, or call out, that was <laughs> that was terrific. Um, definitely giggled. <laughs> um, one, other, one other thing I wanted to mention, too, um, is when he's, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the whole donut hole thing, um, but the the piecing together of so it's really hard in 2019 to make this type of movie because to you know just be frank it's really hard to get away with murdering someone that you know in 2019 because of dna and because of forensics and all those things brian have you tried i've tried multiple times <laughs> and i keep getting caught um thank god for insanity please um <laughs> Uh, so, but one thing I thought was really interesting is all the forensics point back to her being innocent and, you know, we don't know until the end of the movie that she didn't give, uh, Christopher Plummer's character the injection that she thought she did or, you know, she didn't overdose him. Yeah. Um, which would have sunk her battleship 
in real life and in the movie as well. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting that he was able to come up with this plot and this structure. Uh, and it was like Ransom had this perfect crime plotted out. R- really, he did. And, uh, and it's he, from her thinking she made an accident. Yes. It totally tears it apart. And what I love about the way they do it is especially with daniel craig's character like not knowing how much he knows and then she's waiting i think in the hospital and he's like yeah no i know everything then they go back to the house and he finally pieces the rest of it together and stops her from confessing to the family yes such... and then everything else is laid out I'm like oh that's it's really brilliant the way they do it it really really is um but the uh can you recite the since you've seen this movie a couple times can you recite oh, no the... i've only seen it once my friend had seen it oh okay times. i thought you yeah, said you. i would... want to see it a second time i thought you said you rewatched it i was um the so he said we thought we what how does he say we thought we had a donut with a hole or uh... but now the donut hole is a donut with a hole it's like a donut hole with a hole <laughs> like it's first of all i don't know how he thought about this and writing this and then saying it must have been i, I couldn't imagine uh, being on set when he's saying that dialogue because I was dying laughing in the movie theater. It's I can great. only imagine, uh, you know, an Englishman trying to with a trying to do a southern accent trying to say this this monologue. It was so good, and that is just an underlining of the writing in this movie. Like it's just it's spot on. It's perfect, and the the whole discussion they have about the the Nazi grandson jerking off in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Like, can we get back to the Nazi boy masturbating? <laughs> you know, and I love, I love that. Uh, I love that he, he basically is, you know, he calls him a, a, a Twitter troll. Uh, and that's, I love that. That's how Ryan Johnson pictures, twi- pictures, Twitter trolls are just like these teenage boys with ascots on or whatever those, that sweater's called just yeah. on the toilet, like tweeting nasty tweets about rape Johnson you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Bullying Kelly Marie Tran off Instagram. Just yeah. like the most despicable type of child you can be. Right. Exactly. And, um, and whether or not that's what they really look like, that's who they are the inside kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, man, I could talk about this movie all day long. I really, really loved it. Um, I think, uh, to be quite frank with you, this year for me has been pretty disappointed when it came to movies. I was actually looking at my letterbox, um, trying to put together my top ten list or get it prepared, and there was a lot of movies that I gave th- three or three and a half stars to. I feel um, like recently it's picked up a little bit for me. I saw Marriage Story. I saw The Irishman. Which um, are movies I haven't seen yet. Yeah, those are coming to Netflix. I There's a theater in Boston that usually gets the Netflix releases a couple weeks before they come out. Um, That's nice. But those were both great seeing uncut gems, looking forward to that. So there's, there's hope yet. It's not over. You're right. We're, 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 we still have a few more weeks left. Um, But knives out and parasite, uh, seeing those movies in back to back weeks, basically a little bit apart. Um, have really made this year so much better. Um, Yeah. Because they're two, two really, 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 thoughtful movies that are not they're they're not typical they're atyp- we don't get movies like these I- anymore um mm-hmm. and whodunits are i mean the the closest thing we get to a whodunit is a movie like hateful eight which isn't necessarily even a whodunit or murder on the orient express <laughs> uh 
which again is just a remake of a remake of a remake. Um, which have you seen that movie by the way? No, it's not good. I'm uh, not planning on ever doing so. <laughs> it made a butt ton of money. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, but, it did. Um, good cast. Good cast. Imagine yeah. dragons in the trailer. The kids <laughs> like them. Right. Um, <laughs> And I, you know, there's some Agatha Christie has still has a lot of fans out there. If it's a, you know, she, they were remaking her movies over and over again, or, or her books into movies. But um, and then I would say the the, the other type of whodunit, which is very 2000, <laughs> is like a movie like Gone Girl or Girl on the Train. I mean, yeah, or um, Nocturnal Animals, even Nocturnal Animals, is a little bit like yes. that kind of David Finchery. Yes. Mom. Yep. I mean, those are all good movies. I, I haven't seen Girl on the Train. That's not good. Um, it's not good. Girl but... with Dragon Tattoo. It's like a very similar type of crime movie that I feel like we're getting past a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. We haven't we haven't had a ton of those in the, in the last. They probably died with Girl on the Train. In fairness, because that sucked and nobody saw it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Gone Girl was was terrific. I, I have you know I love that movie. Um, did you like have you seen it yeah it's not my favorite fincher but yeah i, oh, no. I, I yeah it, i mean it, it, it made my top 10 list but it's definitely not my favorite fincher but you know though but those type of movies were the closest that we had to whodunits mm-hmm. in 2000 you know 19 and 2018 like that the you know the last few years we haven't had something like this and i to be honest drew i don't think we're ever going to see anything like knives out again i wish we would though because i appreciate because all those movies that we just listed were like they're very serious and it's like, Oh, there's going to be some like graphic rape scene in all of them because like, okay. But knives out kind of appreciates like the, the inherent whimsy of a movie like that. Yeah, I totally agree, man. And I would love to see it. Um, I mean, but who is going to do this? I mean, Ryan Johnson going to do a sequel. I mean, that like, I mean, obviously he could do something with, you know, Benoit Blanc is the new, uh, Her- Hercule Perlow. I don't know how to say his name or Columbo. I don't know. Like, is he the new, I would love to see that. Um, that is actually a sequel I'm down for to be yeah, honest. But also you. I fear with anything like that, it's going to be like, Oh, you have one stinker. And like, you can only capture lightning in a bottle like this so many times before it becomes stale. And it's yeah. like such a singularly unique movie that I feel like in trying to capture it again, you'd kind of lose a lot of the magic of the first one. I agree. And it's also one of those things where, you know, is because it is so subversive, did he maybe kill the genre? Can anyone do it better? Do we want to see another one of these movies? That's true. Because especially if he was doing sequels and if every new one would be like, oh, I have to subvert this genre in some interesting way. Because people didn't go into this one expecting like, oh, it's really going to turn the whodunit genre on the head. No, right. On its head. It like you can't do that over and over again because then people are going to go into it being like, oh, how's he going to fuck with it this time? Yeah. And then you just end up becoming M. Night Shyamalan. Where's the twist? You know, what a twist. What a twist. Um, Yeah. Anyways, I mean, I love this movie and um, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing it again for sure. Anything else you want to say about Knives Out? I think that wraps it up. I'll repeat the sentiment that you listener should go see it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, we have, uh, probably another episode coming sometime in the near future in this week. Um, we're going to be counting down our top 
10 movies of the decade. Uh, we're going to try to do a three-man weave with uh, me, Travis, and Drew, which should be a lot of fun, all right? I think it'd be, it's going to be a blast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any um, any insight into your list, how you're, how you're building it? Um, I went on Letterboxd. I sorted by my highest rated, and I put in 2010s. <laughs> That was very, and I went from there. That was very smart. You know, uh, that's what I ended up doing as well. Uh, you, I, I thought about doing something, um, and then I realized it was really stupid. And uh, I was just, but just tell me your opinion if you think I'm, I was being stupid. Uh, I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'll just take my number one movie from every year in the decade. Oh yeah, I mean that's. Because I was going through it and I was looking at like, okay, where are most of these coming from? In 2017 was a really great year looking back. Yes. So was 2018. But yes. 2017 has three entries on my list. And if I cut any of them, I'd be really sad. I'm with you. Uh, 2017 was a super, super duper strong year. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to, sorry, I'm going to pull up my list real quick. Uh, I think it was 2015 maybe. There was a year that it was not strong at all. There was 2015 a, is not a great year. Was it like 2015? You have, Revenant, you have The Martian, The Force Awakens. Yeah, that was – I'm trying to – because so I, I'm pulling up my top ten um, from Midnight Film Review for, from that year. I'm uh-huh. trying to see what my top ten was from – 2015 but i remember i so what i did is i pulled up my top tens from midnightfilmreview.com and just kind of like i was like you know this is be the easiest way to do it and then like you said i went to letterbox and kind of looked at, at it that way too because there may have been movies at the time that i didn't see or you know skipped over on accident yeah. or you know i live in cincinnati so a lot of uh, you know indies don't come my way unfortunately um but that was also the year we started the podcast, so I saw a ton of movies in 2015. Um, uh, shoot. Uh, sorry, here we go. Um, now, 2015 wasn't wasn't bad. I'm looking at it now. Actually, 2015 is actually a really good year. What year am I thinking about, Drew? Well, we only have 10 to choose from. <laughs> That is true. Uh, uh, is it 2014? Was 2014 a bad year? Well, we had American Sniper in 2014. Uh, no, 2014 was good. I, I can't remember what that meant. Well, I'll, we'll figure it out. We're going to do a whole podcast on this, so it's probably going to be like a five-hour podcast. Um, at least that's what I'm shooting for. So we're going to uh, – actually, you know what would be awesome? If we did a, tw- if we did a uh, 24-hour podcast. Has that ever been done? Hmm. Can you upload a 24-hour sound file? You, you could not. To anything? You could not, but that would be awesome if you could. You could just 24 straight hours of, of podcasts. Do you, do you think people would listen to it? I don't think they would. I would not personally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, well, so we got that coming out this week, hopefully. Um, we're Fingers crossed. Uh, anything you want to plug before we skedaddle? Uh, fans of Slenderman will be pleased with my list. <laughs> it's just Slenderman 1 through 10. Nine Lives, all... starring Kevin Spacey, also makes an appearance. Oh, uh, Drew, you have you haven't seen a bunch of shitty movies. Drew at one time was uh, our correspondent for movies uh, that were very, very bad. Have you seen very many bad movies lately? 
Um, I watched. Oh, should I talk about that? Yeah, why not? Uh, Unplanned. <laughs> it's a, a like a pro life movie that uh, organization. Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, my girlfriend's college campus was showing, and that was real bad. I was supposed to be seeing The Irishman that day, actually, but we drove all the way to Boston, which is like an hour from where we live, and we wait in line, and then the girl scans my ticket, and she's like, oh, this is for tomorrow. Like, uh, oh, fuck. And so then we drove back and then went the next day. Oh, uh, watch Tall Girl, the Netflix original. That was pretty bad. <laughs> okay, so you're still watching bad movies. Not but... as much. There was one that you commented on my review of, and I don't remember what it was. On Letterbox, on Letterbox, he was like, "Oh, still a glutton for punishment," which is true enough. True enough. Um, so I watched a bad movie this weekend. Do you want to hear about it? I would love to. I watched uh, Equalizer two this weekend. Um, also filmed in Massachusetts. Really? Yeah. Somebody uh. I worked with is like, "Yeah, my dad's apartment's in the movie." <laughs> okay, that's weird. Um, yeah. So I actually, you know. I'm not going to say I like the first Equalizer because it wasn't a great movie. and But it was like one of those action movies that was like, okay, it's it's passable. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Denzel Washington, he's he's beating up bad guys. It's, I mean, I could be watching something worse, right? So I was like, you know, let me check out Equalizer 2 for some reason. And uh, it's bad. The, the first hour of that movie is – so it starts with him on a train in Turkey uh, beating up a person who kidnapped their daughter and was taking them back to a Muslim country. 1517 to Paris. Basically. And then it cuts to this – basically he's just he's just driving around the city as a cab driver helping people with their problems. And that's the movie. He is like – It's the, a really wholesome movie. Helping old ladies cross the street, right? <laughs> Pretty, much, I, dude, uh, you're not very far off. Let me, let me just helping like kittens stuck in trees. Yep. He, he shoots them down with his gun. <laughs> it literally, this character might be uh, he. It is the the definition of altruism and the most ridiculous, disgusting way possible. If that makes sense, yeah. like no one is this selfless. Uh, because if you, if you give this little care of your own life, you probably would just kill yourself to be honest. <laughs> um, like you're not going to devote yourself <laughs> into helping other people this much that you're going to continue to put yourself at, in harm's way. But anyways, yeah. it's just, it's a ridiculous movie. It's like, um, it's like equalizer one mixed with the uh, born. Uh, let me put it that way. Um, but yeah, so I'm a glen for punishment too. And I watched the whole thing too. I spent the, I spent my entire night watching that movie on Saturday, but wow. The, we totally, that's what I like to call a, this. yeah, that's a, that's a good Saturday night. <laughs> watching Equalizer 2. Yeah. I had a, Denzel Washington. Had an ice cold diet, Dr. Pepper, some, uh, Donato's pizza and Denzel Washington. Cheers to that, brother. Yeah, here we go. All right, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Mid... I almost said, oh my God, Midnight Film Review. Uh, uh, we're we're scratch this. We're going to have to redo this whole podcast. I'm Colin Smith. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Call of Pop. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.